Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What happened to music that meant something? The Who at the Kingdom or Kiss at the Coliseum. Where is the Misty Mountain Hop? Where is the is the smoke on the water? Where is the Iron Man of today? Hey, this is not a test. This is rock and roll. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim and I are going to catch up with some big fall releases from Pearl Jam, Mariah Carey, Kid Cudi, and more. And later on, it'll be my turn to pop a quarter in the Desert Island Jukebox. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. My radio, believe me, I like it loud. I'm the man with the box that can rock the crowd. Walking down the street to the hardcore beat while my JVC vibrates the concrete. I'm sorry. Greg, that is a little bit of LL Cool J, who is eligible for the first time for induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The uh, list of potential uh, nominees this year just came out. A couple of first-timers on there. Kiss, LL Cool J, as I said, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Genesis, mm-hmm. uh, the Hollies, Jimmy Cliff. They join returning candidates. These are people who have been nominated before but not voted in. ABBA, the Chantels, Darlene Love, Laura Nero, the Stooges, who have been up for a couple of years now, yeah. really, Come for goodness on, sake, and Donna Summer. Healthy, healthy dose of skepticism whenever you and I talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, in part because it has been very conservative, ignoring fringe musical movements like progressive rock, Genesis finally up, like punk, Stooge has been up for a couple of years, like disco, Donna Summer, same thing, Abbott to some degree, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, in favor of baby boom heroes, several of whom have been in several times. You know, I mean, the Hollies, right. really, come on. You know, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young are in. You know, does uh, Graham Nash's original group really have to get in as well? It's yeah. just silly. Uh, plus, uh, you know, there is the way that the Hall of Fame operates. There's a little story I just saw the other day. Get this. This this is classic. Motley Crue's Tommy Lee, also <laughs> well-known sex tape performer, is going to be the judge for a contest being held at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Museum in Cleveland, which is sponsored by Fortune magazine. Battle of the Corporate Bands is what it's being called. It's corporate boardroom bands from across America, guys who work 
work for different companies, Johnson & Johnson, Chevron, right, from across the country who get together after work and take off the tie and play in bands. Yeah. You know, good for them. Weekend everybody warriors, Everybody right? should have a hobby. Yeah. But really, is that worthy of being lauded in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? You and I were both there in Cleveland last week for an event. We got to uh, revisit it. We, we'd covered the opening years ago, and I'd been there in between. Yeah. Touring the Hall of Fame and Museum again, Greg, just reminded me, you know, to have Jim Morrison's Boy Scout uniform in a glass case, does that tell us anything about the heart <laughs> and soul of this music? Is rock and roll, philosophically speaking, something that should be enshrined Under in a glass. museum? Yeah. What about Groucho Marx's life? You know, if they wanted to put me in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it's not a club I'd want to be in. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit antiseptic, a little bit clinical, stuff under glass, you know, these wax figurines representing former rock stars dead and <laughs> well, somewhat alive. And no rhyme or reason either. You have Johnny Ramone's guitar from 77, the Moserite, which is really worthy of being there. And then a guitar from somebody in White Zombie who I don't, I've never even heard the name. It's not Rob Zombie, but some, some second tier player in, in White Zombie right next to it. What does that do in there? Well, White Zombie is not on the list for this year, Jim, but we are going to find out in January which five of these 12 nominees are actually going to get inducted into the Hall of Fame and be under glass with everybody else. That's Lily Allen singing an appropriate sentiment about uh, being right in the middle of a major firestorm that's developing in Europe over Internet law and piracy. Artists on one side, governments on the other, the citizens and file sharers caught in between. The French National Assembly has just passed the three strikes and you're outlaw. We've been following this for about a year, Jim. It's gone back and forth in France about how they're going to approach this law. Now the National Assembly has given it final approval. President Sarkozy has to weigh in on it, but he's already indicated that he supports this bill. So it looks very likely that a French citizen who has been caught downloading music and sharing it on their hard drive in the privacy of their own home, we might add, if they are found doing this three times, is going to be taken off the Internet and is going to be subject to fines ranging from two to $4,000 from the government and an additional $450,000 from the aggrieved copyright holder. Well, this is the country that gave us the guillotine. <laughs> and that's exactly what they're going to be doing to file shares. The British government is also considering a similar law, and that has opened up a whole can of worms. The artists in the U.K., are debating whether or not this would be a good thing. You recall that on Sound Opinions, we talked about the formation of what they are calling the Featured Artists Coalition, which is basically artists trying to create uh, their own version of a union to discuss some of these Internet and piracy issues. And they have come down firmly on the side of the consumers on this one. We're talking about artists like uh, Annie Lennox, Radiohead, Robbie Williams, Tom Jones, of all people. Uh, <laughs> they issued a statement that basically said this is a bad idea. The industry is in danger of cutting off a promotional tool that is of great use to fledgling artists who seek to create a buzz around themselves, yet don't have the financial support of a major label, the organization said. They went on to further say this is a wide-scale invasion of personal privacy. Now, it's interesting, Jim, that one of the naysayers in uh, the Artist Coalition is one Lily Allen. She has been very outspoken on a number of issues, as we found out when she's been a guest on this show. In this particular issue, she said on her blog, we need to make clear unlawful file sharing is wrong and make an attempt 
to stop it. The ironies in that statement, Jim, abound. Well, this is a woman who introduced herself to the world by giving her music away for free and encouraging people to pass it along on the MySpace page, right? It's interesting that she would now take the opposite tack, and there are a few artists who agree with her, people like James Blunt, Mark Ronson, Alicia Dixon, Gary Kemp. Not even the artists can agree on exactly where this should go, but the big news here is that the government is becoming seriously involved in this issue in Europe. Is it only a matter of time before it happens in the United States as well? We are, yeah, I said it, we are. This is Rock Nation. Pledge your allegiance. Get your boutiques on. All black, everything. Black cards, black cars, all black, everything. And I girls a black purse. Riding with a diligence. I can't more in depth if you boys really rip enough. This is like that is a song called Run This Town by Jay-Z, which is topping the uh, Billboard Hot 100 right now. Craig, we are about to dive into the first full flurry of big fall album releases. Traditionally, the fourth quarter of the year is the uh, what's left of the record industry's biggest time to put out its blockbusters. Get everybody all excited, gear up, and go through the Christmas selling season. We thought before we did some of these reviews, which are going to range far and wide from Pearl Jam to Mariah Carey, that we would take a look at what's going on in the charts. To the extent that they still measure what uh, the masses of of popular music are listening to. What are the Billboard charts telling us this week? Well, it's interesting, Jim. There has definitely been a perking up of sales of compact discs in uh, recent weeks. One of the big reasons that retailers are pointing to, of course, those uh, the global reissue of the entire Beatles catalog on compact disc, uh, a refurbishing of that catalog for the first time in more than 20 years. And the Beatles did incredible business over the first five days of that re-release throughout the world, selling more than 2.2 million copies of music that was originally made uh, 40 years ago. Which Uh, says, I mean, you know, that's still a fraction of what they might have sold if this had been 1992, right? It's interesting because I think you're right about that. And in addition, I'm wondering as to how many people bought those CDs and then immediately put them on their iPods, Mm. thus robbing themselves of the complete sonic experience that everybody's talking about with these CDs. Or what would the sales numbers have looked like if the Beatles had allowed that music to be sold through iTunes? Well, there's, there's the bigger question, if they had made it available digitally. Meanwhile, there's been a bit of a resurgence in the top 20 in terms of just sales, led by Jay-Z. He still seems to have an incredible amount of commercial power. In just two weeks, he has sold more than 770,000 records, which, again, compared to 10 years ago or even five years ago, probably doesn't mean much. But in this day and age, that's a pretty significant number of CDs that he has shifted in just a couple of weeks. Uh, Whitney Houston, who we talked about, we reviewed her comeback album, I Look to You, a few weeks ago. She's doing really well. She got a huge boost from that tell-all interview she did with Oprah Winfrey. Her record sold 156,000 copies in its third week, which is pretty significant. Usually after the first or second week of big sales, we see a major drop-off for these artists. In her case, she's up over 540,000 sales. Well, hip-hop's still driving the charts, though, right? Five of the top ten are are hip-hop records. And it's interesting to see that there are new faces, new voices in hip-hop that are in the top ten. Kid Cudi, who we're going to review later in the show, uh, debuting at number four with over 100,000 copies sold of his debut, one of uh, Kanye West's protégés. Another interesting new voice, uh, Drake, out with a seven-song EP called So Far Gone, sold 73,000 copies of that at number six. And then, of course, Lil Boozy topping off the top ten with a set that uh, sold 49,000 copies. That had previously been my nickname for you, Little Boozy. (laughs) Little Boozy, yeah, yeah, exactly. But yes, hip-hop driving the charts. 
And uh, the Beatles, of course, still dominant 40 years after their heyday. We're going to talk about a bunch of new fall releases in the next couple of segments, including this one from a band out of Seattle. is a song Mr. Cott called The Fixer by Pearl Jam from its ninth studio album, Backspacer, here on Sound Opinions, leading off our uh, big full record review show. Who were Pearl Jam? Well, they've been kicking around a long time now. Always the most classic rock influenced of any of the bands that emerged in the so-called grunge or alternative rock era, certainly out of Seattle in the uh, early 90s. Now they've sort of become a classic rock band themselves in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways. For this new album, they went back to a tried-and-true producer, Brendan O'Brien, I think the guy uh, most associated with them throughout their career behind the production desk, hasn't worked with them since Yield in uh, 1998, though. He's back in the fold. And uh, as you heard in that song, Pearl Jam's in a good mood. Eddie Vedder and the bandmates in the group have been saying, you know, we're optimistic. Times have changed. We have a new president. And this album was made in that light. So what are Pearl Jam doing on this disc? We're going to play a song for you and then come back and give our opinions on the Buy It, Burn It, Trash It scale. This is a song called Supersonic by Pearl Jam on Sound Opinions.
Supersonic from Pearl Jam, their ninth album, Backspacer. Hard to believe they've been around two decades now. This is a veteran band. This is a heritage band. This is practically a classic rock band, certainly the classic rock band for Generation X in a lot of ways. One nurtured by the major label system. 1991, you know, their debut, 10, came out and was a super smash, brought to you by Columbia Records. There's a difference, though, with this release. Well, it's being marketed through Target. They've uh, gotten in bed with another corporation, although what's the difference between Sony slash Epic and Target? I'm not really quite sure. I recognize a huge difference there. Well, Sony Records are also for sale at Walmart, (laughs) but when you get in bed with Target, it's only for sale at Target. However, they did make a notable exception here in insisting that independent mom-and-pop retailers from coast to coast also be able to sell this disc. And their heart's always been in the right place for the most part. Uh, they, they make some moves that you kind of scratch your head at, but I think this band, if they've done nothing else, if, is proven that they're in it mostly for the right reasons. They are not a corporate rock band in the traditional sense. They are a band that tries to do the right thing most of the time. On this record, they're going back to a little-known portion of their sound. Most people associate them with those slow-build anthems with uh, Eddie Vedder's voice as the centerpiece. Now they're sort of channeling that punk groove that they got on songs like Spin the Black Circle or Lucan or Do the Evolution. That's always been a part of their sound. It's more prominent than ever on this record. 11 songs, 37 minutes minutes. You know, it's surprising that there aren't more of those big anthems on there. The only two that really aspire to that are Amongst the Waves and Unthought Unknown. The punk songs I take more as celebrations of the moment. You know, they're enjoying living in the moment. Those guitars revving it up. The drummer, Matt Cameron, is exceptional on this record. And then there's three ballads that I think uh, set those faster songs, those live-for-the-moment songs in relief, where Vetter is talking about mortality. Yes, I understand that every life must end As we sit alone, I know someday we must go on. They're definitely coming off that experience he had writing that solo record, that Into the Wild uh, soundtrack yeah. album. They give it some context. You know, if we're looking for Pearl Jam to reinvent itself at this point in the career, I think we can give up on that. What this band does is put out solid albums that sort of carry the torch for classic rock. What they really want to be is a 70s rock band. And here they are in 2009 doing that job pretty well. Yeah, but what they want to be is a 70s rock band, Greg. They they have made records with and hugely admire Neil Young. Mm-hmm. Neil Young being a guy who has invented himself almost from uh, album to album. Mm-hmm. You know, has tried on so many genres and styles. Some of them successes, some of them dire failures. You know, after nine copies of the same record from Pearl Jam, pretty much (laughs) none of them being as good as that opening salvo of 10 or or the first three albums, really, if we want to be generous. Wow. You know, they need to give us an octung baby. They need to show us what else they are capable of. I love those three Vetter quiet, into-the-wild songs because they're different. Everybody's making a big deal about the fast rock songs here. They've been on every Pearl Jam record. It's just that we have five of them this time instead of three. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to hear something different from this band, and, and they're not giving it to me. I feel like they've been re-energized. I feel the last three albums, actually, have been pretty good. And while certainly not masterpieces, I think this is a buy-it record for Pearl Jam. Now, at best, it's a burn-it record. I endorse the uh, quiet songs. The others I feel like I've heard before. So one buy-it, one burn-it. When we come back on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, Greg Cott and I are going to review the new albums from Mariah Carey, Basement Jacks, Monsters of Folk, and Kid Cudi. Then it'll be my turn to pop a quarter in the Desert Island Jukebox. 
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. What you're hearing is a little bit of the new Basement Jacks album, Scars, a track called Saga. You may recognize the voice that is Santi Gold, and it gives you a little idea about where Basement Jacks is going. This UK production duo, Simon Radcliffe and Felix Buxton, started out in the 90s as avatars of the new house music movement in the UK. A couple of DJs playing a lot of shows that drew huge crowds to discos around the world. Recall in the midst of that electronic music revival in the late 90s, these guys were right at the center of it. They represented the new wave of dance music. But as their albums have evolved, they've gone into more of a songwriting pop music direction, in part because uh, not only are they combining the dance beats that they started out with, but they're bringing in guest vocalists such as Santi Gold on the latest record. The turning point for me was the 2002 record Kish Cash, one of the best records of that year, laden with guest vocalists, laden with memorable pop songs that combine the dance beats with the melody. Scars continues in that vein, their fifth album. We're going to play a track from it first before we review it. And it's an interesting one. It's called Day of the Sunflowers. The guest vocalist on it is one Yoko Ono on Sound Opinions. Day of the Sunflowers, in parentheses, Mr. Cott, We March On, Mm -hmm. by the Basement Jacks from their fifth album, Scars, featuring uh, the inimitable Yoko Ono on vocals. One of two guest vocalists on this album who have been guests on Sound Opinions. We've had Yoko on. We've had Lisa Calcula of the uh, Bell Rays on. A lot of really interesting voice. Uh, Santi Gold, as you mentioned, Paloma Faith, uh, Yo Majesty, and yet... Despite the presence of some 14 guest vocalists, the album is uh, pure basement jacks from start to finish. All these different voices, but a consistent sound that takes those wonderful uh, Chicago 
house grooves of the 80s in a new direction, a futuristic direction, a relentlessly melodic and uh, hard grooving direction. I love this album to pieces, and I can't get enough of it. I disagree. I uh, I loved Kish Cash. I thought that was a uh, one of the best albums of the last 10 years, certainly one of the key dance music album releases of the last 10 years. And I mean, you don't have room in your heart for both? Well, I think this is a, uh, a lesser version of that. And I think what's happening here, Radcliffe and Buxton have fathomed that they are, in fact, as much songwriters as producers. And while I give them the ambition of attempting to move further into that area, I think when the beats are dialed down, when they start going more for atmosphere and melody and traditional pop songs, that's where they lose me. I don't think they're quite as convincing in that mode as they are when, you know, the party groove is at an all-time high. Nobody parties like the Basement Jacks, but when it comes to those ballady-type songs, and about half of this record, Jim, falls into that category for me, I think they really lose a lot of momentum. So in comparison to some of their earlier work, which I thought was outstanding, this is only a burn-it record for me. You know, I like it, as I said, start to finish. There are some some quieter, chill-out moments. I don't know, maybe you don't like make-out music anymore, Mr. Cott. It's a buy-it <laughs> record, as far as I'm concerned. All up in the block, saying we met at the bar, when I don't need it, know you are. Saying we up in your house, saying I'm up in your car, but you in L.A., and I'm out at your mains. I'm up in the A, you so, so lame, and no one here even mentions your name. It must be the weed, it must be the E. Cause you be poppin', heard you get it poppin', huh? Greg, that five-octave voice can only belong to one person. Yes, it's Mariah Carey with a song called Obsessed, the first single from her new album, Memoirs of an Imperfect Angel. Many people are speculating that she is singing about Eminem, who has been uh, taking shots consistently and sort of inexplicably. I mean, why, you know, pick on Mariah Carey, kind of like past the curve of weird. pop culture. Uh, but she's firing back with this odd song about a stalker. The key line to me is, you are a mom and pop, I'm a corporation. Well, many people would say Mariah Carey is indeed. She is the best-selling female performer of the 90s. She has racked up, is in contention with the Beatles for racking up as many number one hits. Extraordinary stuff. Also extraordinary is the way this album is being presented. Selling advertising. They have decided that Mariah Carey sells several million albums, so why not incorporate advertising for high-end products, perfumes, cars, fashion, in the mini-magazine that is being distributed with this record. We did this as a news story when it broke. It was almost too strange to be true, but now here it comes, complete with this massive push down everyone's throats. Uh, as I said, best-selling female performer of the 90s with that five-octave voice, that mix of street and boudoir, of ballads and the occasional uh, club groover. But Mariah had a pretty dicey start to the new millennium, you know? She flopped in that movie Glitter. She had some, some very much publicized uh, public meltdowns. She seemed to be going off the deep end. 
Now she's back. She's happy again. She's married to Nick Cannon. She's on her third multi-million deal with, with a third major label record company. And as I said, is getting this big corporate push. What is the music that uh, dear Mariah has given the lambs, as her faithful are known? We'll play a song and we're going to come back and give our opinions. This is a track called It's a Rap by Mariah Carey from Memoirs of an Imperfect Angel on Sound Opinions. It's a rap from Mariah Carey's 12th studio record, Memoirs of an Imperfect Angel. Uh, she's trying to add to that total of 175 million records sold, Jim, and far be it from me to rain on her parade. She ain't um, kidding with, she says, you're a mom and pop to Eminem and I'm a corporation. Well, yeah, she, she definitely is, and I think she can also be held accountable for a couple of generations' worth of over-singing. The entire American Idol franchise of operatic belting can be traced to uh, Mariah Carey's career. Needless to say, she hasn't been my favorite vocalist. Uh, Oversings, over emotes. But I gotta say, I like this record. What? I like this record. Mainly because she doesn't oversing. Maybe it's because the range wasn't there. We commented on that on the last record we reviewed, where she had clearly lost some range. But what was wrong with E equals MC squared and a couple of the records before that is she was trying to create music in kind of this hip urban image. She was uh, trying to be trying street. To, trying to keep up with the Christina Aguileras and the Britney Spearses of the world and, and not doing a very good job of it. It didn't really fit. On this record, there's a couple of red herrings along that line. We played Obsessed, the first single, and there's another track called Up Out My Face that also attempts to, you know, the girl from the hood image that she really doesn't own that well. What she does well are ballads. And here she's made a album that is based around slow jam R&B, mm-hmm. adult-themed ballads. What I like about it production-wise is that she's not tossing out all these jobs to different producers so much, but pretty much sticking with one team, the Dream and Tricky Stewart, primarily on this record. And I think they give it a unity and a sort of a, a unified sound that makes it feel like an album. Above all, though, I think is her voice. The very sparse backdrops, her voice at the center of it, the multi-tracking of that voice. When you listen to a record like What's Going On by Marvin Gaye, the way he multi-tracked that voice and it seemed like he was duetting with himself on several tracks, she's doing much the same here. I think it works really well. I think on that track, It's a Rap, that's one of the best performances of her life. I think you've lost it. In terms of just dialing down... (laughs) 
that over-the-topness that has worn her down. It's about subtlety and nuance for the maybe the first time in Mariah Carey's career. I gotta say, this is the best uh, Mariah Carey record I've heard. This is a buy it for me. Oh, yeah, wow, I'm just so shocked. You know, you dissed Whitney Houston yep. a couple of weeks ago on this show. To me, there is more soul in Whitney's tiny fingernail on her small oh, finger than there is on Mariah. Look, Mariah Carey has no soul, Greg. She is a corporation. She is a, is a talented vessel for a whole lot of nothing. The fact that she insists on writing her own songs, yeah, there's some horrible hackneyed material on that Whitney Houston record. Yeah, uh, but but Mariah has nothing to say candy bling that's what this album is you know that's a song title that's what she gives us it is empty it is hollow it is lowest common denominator much is being made of her going back to her quote-unquote r&b roots I mean, what are those r&b roots jodeci how dare you invoke marvin gay in the same sentence as mariah carey she has nothing uh, in common with with everything that I value from R&B, if that's the kind of R&B you're excited about, I know you're eagerly awaiting the return of Boys to Men, fine. Yeah. I mean, what universe are you living in, lady? Go play with your poodles and get out of my face! Yeah. This is a trash it record! You're reviewing her history, not this record. I'm this not! It's a, a horrible surprising, record. surprisingly good record for That's gonna come back to haunt you in a way that I will never apologize for liking the Black Eyed Peas. Pain was a hunting me down, but I gave him the slip I left the city through a tunnel and I headed for the sticks With oregano oil and a morphine drill Pain was a hunting me down but I gave him the slip And I fell in love with identical twins They lived 34 summers between the two of them I gave one my ego, gave one my ear Yeah, I gotta get back to my pretty little Man Named Truth from the new Monsters of Folk record, uh, self-titled Monsters of Folk. Who are these guys? A very tongue-in-cheek moniker for a indie rock supergroup of sorts. Uh, My Morning Jackets, Jim James, Bright Eyes, Connor Oberst, and Mike Mogus, and singer-songwriter M. Ward. These four first got together in 2004 for a tour, which was just like an old-fashioned guitar swap. You know, swapping some songs, collaborating on a few, and now it's turned into this record. Um, Here we are five years later. They finally got into a studio together, collaborated on a record, basically wrote all the songs together, played all the instruments together. There are no ringers, no outsiders. A modern-day version of the uh, the Traveling Wilburys, if you will. Uh, <laughs> certainly an indie rock answer to that in some ways. And here's a song from the record that I think sort of represents the spirit of it very well. In fact, it does remind me quite a bit of what the Traveling Wilburys sounded like back in the 80s when Bob Dylan, Jeff Lynne, George Harrison, Tom Petty, and Roy Orbison took a little bit of a busman's holiday and made a record together. The track is called Whole Lot of Losin' from Monsters of Folk on Sound Opinions. Chicago 
That is Whole lot of Losing by the Monsters of Folk on Sound Opinions. That's an M. Ward tune. I think you can kind of tell, Greg, which are the Ward songs. Those would be my favorite. Which are the uh, Connor Oberst tunes. Uh, they're okay. And which are the... Y- you said his name wrong. I mean, suddenly he has become Yim James. What is that about? Why is Jim James uh, of My Morning Jacket now Yim James? I don't know. I I don't have an, an answer for you. I think whenever he does a solo turn outside of the band, that's uh, again, you know, I, you know the, peop- uh, my morning jacket humor. I people guess. have a right to call themselves <laughs> what they want, but I just think it's stupid. I don't think Traveling Wilburys is the comparison. Those were a bunch of guys that never really fit together. You know, all that superstar power, but what were they doing in the same room? It never really made a lot of sense. I think that what the Monsters of Folk, so named by one of their roadies, are trying to do is uh, is more of a Crosby, Stills, Nash and young kind of thing. It works for me when they're doing group harmony vocals and, and really playing together. It doesn't work for me when they're when the songwriting is just not up to snuff. I mean, really, Man Called Truth? That just I don't know. It's like fingernails on a blackboard to me. Some good moments, some unremarkable moments, and then some just awful ones. Uh, so I guess that averages out to a burn it for me on the buy it, burn it, trash it scale. Well, the comparison I was trying to make with the Wilburys, Jim, is the affability of this record. It, it just sounds like a kind of a fun record to be involved in. There's not a sense of, like, we're taking ourselves too seriously, which can be a problem with with people like Connor Oberst. Oh, yeah. You know, and I think in some ways Oberst has been tempered a little bit being around these other guys who clearly have a sense of humor about this whole thing. It feels kind of organic. It feels like they're having fun. It's not meant to be a world-changing type of record. It's just four guys who like to play music, getting together, and making a record. I think it's a fun project. I think about half of it really works. Some, of the, As you said, I think the biggest issue here is the consistency of the songwriting. There's about 15 tunes on here. I would have chopped off about four or five of those, and I think you would have had a fine record. So as a result, i gotta, I got to give it a burn it. A double burn it. To chime in on anything we've talked about in today's show, any of these records, or anything else on Sound Opinions, give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. You can also email interact at soundopinions.org or talk to us on Facebook. We're going to be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with a final review of the debut album from rapper Kid Cudi and Jim's Desert Island Jukebox pick. Uh-huh. 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 U
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. That is a track called Day and Night from rapper Kid Cudi. Big internet smash in 2008. That song leaked on the internet. I got picked up all over the place on blogs and e-zines and was uh, massively hyped. Here was a strong new voice in the hip-hop realm. Kid Cudi, otherwise known as uh, Scott Miscotti, Cleveland native, mentored by Kanye West, has appeared on West's 2008 record, 808s and Heartbreak, and also made a well-received cameo on Jay-Z's latest record. So this guy's gotten some high-profile jobs in uh, recent months. In addition, he's been out there working on a debut album, which is finally out. It's called Man on the Moon, The End of Day. It is a five-act opera of sorts, and uh, we'll get into the details of that in a second. Uh, but we want to play a track first. It's called Solo Dolo from Kid Cudi on Sound Opinions. Listen good, I don't have nobody But what I might feel All the sounds of sanity what I hear loops itself continuously Then I won't be afraid No, no oh, oh, oh. Why must it feel so wrong When I try and do right Do right oh, oh, oh. Soaring through paradise When I'm closing my eyes Mr. Solo Dolo Oh, oh, oh Oh, oh Look at me, you tell me Just what you see Am I someone whom you may love Or enemy Someone else, I need some answers. Yeah, yeah. Why must it feel so wrong when I try and do right? Do right. Oh, 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 oh. Soaring through paradise. 
paradise when I'm closing my eyes. I'm Mr. Solo Dolo. Solo Dolo, in parentheses, Nightmare, by Kid Cuddy from Man on the Moon slash The End of the Day on Sound Opinions. A really fascinating and very ambitious record, Greg. As you said, a five-act play. Mr. Solo Dolo is is kind of the central character that moves through it, like Pink of Pink Floyd's The Wall. Not always successful, this thing. I I think that uh, Kid Cudi is not nearly as great a lyricist as he is a musical visionary. Mm. There's some real ambition on this record. We see a genre shaping up in hip-hop between 808s and Heartbreak and this record of a kind of dark night of the soul, what in rock and roll would have been Big Star 3rd or Tonight's the Night by Neil Young or the 3rd Velvet Underground album, where it's kind of a dark, introspective haunted narcotic album in a lot of ways. There are some wonderful moments, uh, especially when the music is clicking with Kid Cudi's kind of laconic delivery, a little bit like Snoop Dogg at times, it reminds me. Mm-hmm. Management provides some cool beats. So does Rat-A-Tat. Uh, so two indie rockers he's drawing from. We got Kanye West making a bunch of cameos. We got Common, who it breaks my heart to say, you know, I, I so have loved <laughs> Common through 85% of his career, but boy, has he been on the downswing lately he comes in as this kind of officious narrator and just like what a drag it's like go home pop you know but overall you know musically it's wonderful i don't think he's that strong lyrically yeah i would agree with that i mean the common narration i'm not sure to lay the blame at the feet of common or the overseer of this album which you know has to be cutty uh, saying, you know, what were you thinking? You really don't need that. You're starting to get into Moody Blues territory here. That's it. That's exactly <laughs> what I've been trying to do. Cold gray orb that rules the night. Yeah, this portentous type of uh, monologue going on throughout the record. Lyrically, I think it illustrates the the shortfalls of this record. Cuddy's basically talking about, you know, being a stone loner and, and, and traveling to his own personal dark side of the moon. He actually references the, yeah, the, the Pink side. Floyd album Which is earlier. fine, except when he starts to get sexist, because he can be a bit of a pig. He can be, and and again, that part of his game needs to be picked up. But musically, this is one of the most innovative hip-hop records of the last three, four years. Those interior monologues built on that kind of ghost-in-the-machine beat style that he has. You know, it's not this emphatic kind of thing going on. You've got these gothic keyboards, these melancholy strings, hooks all over the place. I mean, each one of these songs is kind of like an insidious little element in it. It just sticks in your head for days afterward. It, it's a cliche, but it's a headphone record. He's he's a maverick, uh, one of the most unique new voices in hip-hop. It's a Buy It record for me. You know, I, I was on the fence, Greg, between Buy It and Burn It, but, but you're right. The music is so powerful, I'm going to forgive some of the more boneheaded lyrical moments and say Buy It as well. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as possible, we like to take a trip to the Desert Island jukebox and pop a quarter in to play a song we cannot live without, and this week it is Jim DeRigatis' turn. Thank you, Mr. Cott. I have uh, no great story or or reasoning for why I want to play this uh, single I'm going to play, except that I want to hear it now. (laughs) And we haven't had much rock and roll in this show, so I think we need an injection of high-energy, ultra-melodic 
rock and roll. The Lime Spiders were part of that great Australian uh, garage rock explosion of uh, the late 70s and early 80s. I'm thinking of bands like the Celibate Rifles and the Most, who were uh, fellow travelers of the Lime Spiders. And, and, you know, actually it all was started by the Saints, Mm -hmm. who just ushered us in with the Desert Island intro. Lime Spiders are still a going concern. Formed in 1979 by Mick Blood, who's kind of the the central guy there on lead vocals. They still play reunion shows. I don't if they've been to the states. I haven't haven't heard about it in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. But I guess they still play shows. This was their second single. Came out in uh, 1985. Was called Out of Control on the A side. Save My Soul on the B. But boy, Out of Control just is one of the best garage revival songs I've ever heard. I got nothing else to say about it except you're going to love this. Here it is on Sound Opinions.
The Lime Spiders coming at you on an actual vinyl 45, huh? I bought this in Germany. Look, it says Deutschmark 10. That cover is just jumping off of that little vinyl single. It's awesome. Dayglow orange yeah. and green. Uh, Lime Spiders out of control. My Desert Island jukebox pick. What do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we're going to take a look at the intersection of rock music and video games and how they're transforming the music industry. Fascinating stuff. As always, Sound Opinions was produced by our ace team of Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn, with executive production and fearless oversight from Tori Southside Malatia, who, it should be noted here at the tail end, 200 shows we have now taped Mm -hmm. on Chicago Public Radio, and he has yet to kick us off Navy Pier. (laughs) That's got to be worth something. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. Now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hi guys, this is Scott Neff calling from Minneapolis. I'm finally getting around to leaving you a message on the Big Stars uh, dissection of number one record and Radio City a couple of weeks back. What I find amazing is how often I can listen to number one record and Radio City, and it still feels fresh and enjoyable to my ears. It was really great to hear Big Stars drummer Tony Stevens' perspective of that time period, um, with the music industry filled with so many overinflated egos and pure disillusionment. I can't tell you how wonderful it was such a positive, humanistic account from a quote-unquote rock star. It left me feeling better about the world we live in, and I thank you guys for that. Take care. Jim and Greg, this is Margaret from just outside of Chicago. I couldn't help but call and say how much I truly enjoyed your album dissection of Big Star's number one record in Radio City. I was lucky enough to first uh, get to listen to those albums back when I was like 13 or 14 in the early 90s. And I just remember like sneaking into my brother's bedroom when he wasn't home just to catch a listen to those songs, just such beautiful songs. And I remember thinking, like, how is it possible that nobody knows who these guys are and there's so much crummier stuff on the radio? Uh, But it was just so great to hear your thoughts and appreciation of the music. Thanks again. You guys are great. Hi, Jim and Greg. This is Colin, and I really enjoyed your uh, breakdown of the U2 career. Uh, Greg, I totally agree with you on Pop. It's a really underrated and misunderstood album. As Bono says, it's an album that starts with a party and ends with a hangover. I wish you guys had seen Sunday Night's show before writing your reviews. The band's sense of humor was more on display than the previous night and had a little more spontaneity. I think there's more performance art than artifacts. Uh, artifice on the show you know that that's the u2 that i love and uh i think it's great and so thank you guys for doing a good show and uh i'll keep listening with around you chopping and changing surgery in the air
Greg, you're not the only person in the world who thinks that pop is the best face of you two. I uh, actually cheered out loud in my car when I heard that on the broadcast. I uh, got into that record in 1999 and um, have been listening to it pretty religiously since. Actually, I lost my copy a few years ago and was so excited when I found another copy used that I sprung for it right away. Really, what's so great about that record um, is that it's almost music in a gonzo form. I mean, they, they inhabit and explore all kinds of absolutely twisted personas that um, are brought on by just fame and decadence. Um, the song that really defines that record for me is probably Miami. I think it's a reverse drum line that leads in with it, then to just this super simple um, guitar solo from the edge right after the line, Here Comes Car Chase. Here comes Car Chase. Daring, it's pretty righteous, and I think that's the band they could have been. Radiohead, okay, computer, that um, that analogy was great. Radiohead became the band they could have been. You two did not. So, this is Corby out of Pittsburgh. Thank you so much for saying that. I feel validated. Great show. No more messages. To give us your opinion on sound opinions, call our hotline 1 888 859-1800. We'll be back next week with sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.